Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I used to think you needed to make it until at least 40 years old to have one of those burnouts, you know, those breakdowns, you know, the midlife crisis, the kids, the house, the job. But as it turns out, burnout can actually hit you at any age. Burning the candle at both ends, finding yourself sick, run down, and needing a reboot. At least that seemed to be the case for Mallory Rowan before she even hit 25. At the age of 22, a nationally ranked powerlifter, in her last year of university and for a course project, Mallory and her partner co-founded LVD Fitness, a strength lifestyle brand designed to help athletes actually give back. Now the project thrived worldwide and Mallory and Josh were soon launched into the world of e-commerce. Within a few years, while the company generated more than a million in sales, Mallory was toast. Totally burnt out physically and emotionally. She pressed pause. She refocused, restructuring her finances, her health, her habits, and she rebuilt a business that would allow her to thrive in a much healthier setting. Now, her pivot in life launched her into another side of a business, and it turns out helping others thrive in their businesses as well. And it seems the younger generation is quicker to ask for help in all areas of their lives. And that's where we're going to go today. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And as always, for more information, you can head to extensionmarketing.com. Did I pretty much cover it? You did. <laughs> I know. It's like four to six years of your life in like Yeah, I can press into yeah. about 30 <laughs> seconds. So Mallory, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So would you have thought like you'd be in here in podcast studios kind of talking about life and pivots and kind of burnouts at such a young age? Definitely not about burnout, right? <laughs> so when we were growing our business, the podcast aspect was definitely big. There's a lot of podcasts now, right? It's really growing in popularity, but definitely not talking about my burnout. That's for sure. <laughs> well, congrats. First off, congratulations. I think I admired the fact that you were able to build a successful company Thank so you. early, so young, and also to recognize when mm-hmm. it wasn't quite the right fit. Mm-hmm. I, I was in my 40s when I kind of was like, okay, I'm done. I'm burnt out. Yeah. But, it, you know, in, in realizing this, is there a different pressure on a younger generation? I You know, I feel like social media and stuff, it's just like go, go, go. Yeah, definitely. I think um, – we talk about actually like success porn is really big now. People just seeing these ideas of success that they really want to chase. And it's really driving people to want more and do more, which is great, right? We have access to more information. I think it's really opened up people's eyes to what the possibilities are. But at the same time, it's added a lot of pressure, right? We talk about that Gary Vee hustle culture. And there was a lot of go, go, go. And I think that started to become synonymous with entrepreneurship. And then I think people now are starting to say, hold up, we can't just go, 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 because at the end of the day... Yeah, you can't keep up that pace. You can't, right. Oh, but that's a new word for me, success porn. Yes. <laughs> and it's not so much having the car, the house, 
and everything else because it seems like your generation isn't purchasing all those things. Yeah. It's about where you are, what you're traveling, what you're doing, who you're meeting. Yeah, living on your own terms. Right. It's it's very different. So mm-hmm. let's go back a little bit because mm-hmm. there is the athlete perspective. There's 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 this growing up and this chasing something that's very different. So powerlifting. Yeah. You know, not a common, yeah. you know, <laughs> topic of conversation, yeah. especially, you know, to, to take up a sport also a little later in life. Mm-hmm. By, by that, I mean you're not doing powerlifting at 9, 10, 11 years old, right? Yeah, and that's the really cool thing about powerlifting is it's a lot of people that were athletes in different areas and then they find powerlifting after. So for myself, I grew up in dance. So powerlifting seems really different from dance, but also really similar because in dance, you know, you go up, you do your dance, and then the next person goes up and does theirs, right? And it really comes down to how you perform and how you show up. And powerlifting is the same thing, right? You go on the platform, you do what you've been training for and then the next person does the same and it's whoever comes out on top. So totally never expected myself to fall into powerlifting. Um, Can I stop you yeah. there? Okay. When you think of dancing, yeah. you think of you know, on point, yeah. you know, I mean, I get, you can do the jazz and there's a ton of different things, but you see a dancer's physique yeah. and you think of a powerlifter's physique yeah. and you don't quite see the two in the same to go from one to another. Yeah, which is funny because dance is ultimately what led me to powerlifting because I was working out in the gym after when I was in university because I knew with how much I danced growing up that I couldn't really slow down um, my physical activity because I knew my body would probably go into shock from that. So I was going to the gym, working out, and I kept getting stopped by people because I was stronger because I had strong legs from dance. So I would be squatting just like other women, but I was squatting a lot more weight because my legs could handle it. And everyone would always asked like oh are you a power lifter you're a power lifter and I actually got a really negative association with that because to me like you're saying I pictured a really different body a really different aesthetic and I always took it as a comment on my aesthetic as opposed to my strength you um, didn't see the compliment people were no, giving you like, I was, my god you're strong yes I was doing a very classic associating it with what most people think of power lifters right these big burly guys that we see and that was actually part of what had sparked our original business with LVD was that we weren't represented as power lifters. There's a lot of tiny, tiny power lifters from men to women, whatever it is. Powerlifting really does look like all different body shapes. And that's not something that was out there for a really long time. Can I ask just so that the listeners have a better idea? Yeah. How do you explain like what exactly is the competition aspect of a power lift? Yeah. So a lot of people mix up Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting. Olympic weightlifting is confusing in that the term weightlifting is in it. So when I lift weights, people assume that's what I'm doing. But powerlifting comes down to three lifts, uh, the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. So powerlifting, I find, is a lot more accessible, and that's why you see more people going into it later, because it's things that you're probably doing in the gym right now, right? I know for myself, I wasn't benching, so I just had to add bench into the equation, and then I already had the three lifts. Um, But when it comes to the competition, you essentially have three squat attempts, three bench attempts, and three deadlifts. you're trying to lift the most weight that you can, but it's also really technical. So there's three referees. They're watching, you know, is your squat going below depth? Are you keeping your knees straight? Are you waiting for your command? So there's a lot of technical components to it. And ultimately, it comes down to your total. So they'll take your best squat, your best bench, and your best deadlift. And that's like your score at the end of the day. But is it scored on how much you're actually lifting? Or is there points like... 
Yeah, like it's it, just, are you being judged? It's just coming down to the weight that gets wow. lifted, but you have to get uh, two out of three essentially white lights is what it is from the refs. So two out of the three refs have to say your lift was good, which means you know you're following all the commands for bench. It's that it's coming down all the way. It's not shaking. So as long as the lift is technically correct, that weight is going to count for you. So. What we, can I ask what your yeah. top numbers were? Yeah. So for my squat, I squatted uh, 325, 325 pounds was my most. Uh, bench press was 170 oh and God. deadlift was around 350. Are you still? I'm still, <laughs> I'm not lifting that right now. I think that, oh would, my God. that would crush me right now. Oh I could my God. Probably walk into a gym and comfortably do, I would say 225 at any point, which would be like two plates. Um but yeah, you definitely have to be training consistently yeah. to keep that up. Okay, Mallory, it was so funny. The other day, I was so excited because I was finally able to put two, like a 45-pound plate yeah. on like a 45 on either side. Yeah. And I was just like, like it was like the angels were yeah. singing. I felt like, it, <laughs> but it was nice because I felt strong. Yes. I, I felt like as I'm getting older, mm-hmm. I'm still getting stronger. Yeah. And so for me, it was a victory. A hundred percent. Even though like I, there was a couple less plates on than what you were doing you know but But, it was a win for me but that's how it starts Mm -hmm. right when I first started benching as I mentioned like I had to start benching to even join my school's powerlifting team and it was laughable right like I was getting my boyfriend always jokes I got a spot for the bar which isn't totally true but it's not far off right I was really struggling because it wasn't something my body was familiar with but the more I trained I went from barely benching 95 pounds to 170 pounds so it really is just about consistency and that's the nice thing about powerlifting is you have those measurable wins like you just mm-hmm. mentioned. It's so exciting when you finally hit that plate and then you want that plate 25 <laughs> and then you want that two plate, right? Yeah. So it's it's a nice sport for those milestones that get you away from the, the weight loss aspect and just thinking about the aesthetics. So it was the sport that launched you into the business. Yes. So you were mentioning it, uh, you know, a little while ago is, is kind of creating this brand or this lifestyle wear Mm -hmm. that represented what you were thinking and feeling. So explain to us LVD. Yeah. So LVD, as you mentioned, is a strength lifestyle apparel brand, and we wanted to help athletes give back. So for every item we created, we would provide one month of clean water to someone in a developing country. And that was through our partner, WaterAid. Um, Their Canadian chapter is located in Ottawa. So it was kind of a nice fate situation when Mm -hmm. we looked them up. They seemed like the perfect partner and they just happened to be in Ottawa, which we loved. Um, But really, it was that feeling of connecting a community. Powerlifting was really going through a shift. Powerlifting used to only be in really like aggressive equipment, I would say. Um, These really tight shirts and suits that you would actually need almost a whole team to get you ready and get you spotting. And then powerlifting had this raw division. So even though we wear like knee sleeves and belts, it's not as aggressive with the equipment. So it became a little bit more accessible. One, it's super affordable because it doesn't take much if you have a gym membership or, you know, maybe work out at home. Um, So it was really changing what powerlifting looked like. And we didn't feel like we were having anything we could identify with in the community. It was a lot of skull and crossbones, a lot of what people really think about with powerlifting, you know, bald, big, bearded, tattooed guys. And there was a lot of us that were in university, excelling academically, not what you would think as a powerlifter. People are always surprised when myself or my friends say that we're powerlifters. So we wanted that brand we identified with, and we really respected those brands like Tentry, uh, um, Tom's is another example. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to bring that into the fitness community because we knew as athletes, we have really strong value systems. 
but we don't have that much time, right? When we're training in the gym for three hours, it's hard to go volunteer our time. So we decided we could build this community and then also give them a way to give back in something that they're going to be buying anyways, right? If they're buying gym clothes anyways, is there a way we can automatically have that be a give back? Were you surprised at how quickly it it took off because it started honestly as a school project if I yes. read it correctly and yeah. the next thing you know a couple years later you're burnt out from it so I'm assuming yeah. there was this growth that you kind of just got hit like a whirlwind yeah and I think with any business timing can be a huge thing and that's something we've always acknowledged is we got in right at the right time I definitely think we did a lot of things properly but timing is a big thing I think we identified that problem in ourselves and it was something that a lot of people were experiencing even on a global level and that's what really sparked it. And yeah, it was a crazy experience. There's so many milestones that stand out that really were just like those wow moments, you know? Mm -hmm. You had to figure a lot out. Yeah. Shipping, hand leg, production, you know, where things were being manufactured. So this was something that happened. So where in this are you kind of starting to feel like you're, you're spinning a little out of control? Yeah. And that's the tough part is I feel like we're trained to push through, especially being like a type A dancer. You know, I was used to a busy schedule. I was used to pushing through. So I I actually would say that I missed a lot of the signs, right? You know, you're tired, but you understand this hustle culture and it's what you have to do, right? You have to be tired out. You have to have multiple coffees and like it becomes this culture to have like two energy drinks a day, right? Like people often, you see it on social, they're posting that, they're priding it's themselves It's a brag moment it. almost, it right? Totally it's like who's is. busier, who's busier yes. than the next person? Who's hustling harder? Yes, exactly. And I think it was just like pushing through and pushing through. And it wasn't until my body started to really break down on me that I realized it had been slowly trying to stop me the whole time. And it just got to the point where it couldn't take it anymore. So for me, it really just like hit me in the face because it got to the point where I couldn't go any further. Um, So yeah, I definitely missed a lot of the signs. What do you, what signs can you reflect back on that you missed? And what was that breaking point? Like when, when you say I just couldn't go any further? Yeah. So the, breaking point was actually when I got pneumonia and didn't realize it. So I had gone to the doctors for, I think, a prescription, something like that. And she heard my lungs and immediately was like, how long have you had this cough? And I have always had, like growing up, I had asthma. So it's not foreign to me for my lungs to not be great. So it's like, I don't know. Like, honestly, I think it's been going like over a year. And she was like, really? Like, this is pretty bad. And she had me breathing and she was listening. She's like, I'm going to send you for a chest x-ray, but I 100% know you have pneumonia. And it was crazy because it just really hit me. And it was this weird moment of relief because I had been feeling so bad building up to it. And I just kept thinking that I needed to push through. And I was like, wow, there was actually something really wrong. And this is why every morning I'm so tired, right? You just kind of chalk it up to that hustle. So for me, it was actually getting diagnosed with something that I needed to slow down, you know, not go on the next business trip and deal with. That was really that breaking point for me. And I think I was lucky that it came at the time that it did, because after that, I started to have a lot of other things. I had some hair loss. I had some rashes um, that luckily I was forced to slow down because of that pneumonia. And then those things all kind of fell at the same time and really hit me. It's almost like when the body knew that you were, it it, it was almost like, it's it, like we it, need something it, like, we can label so right. that she'll and, pay and, attention. And, but, and then the rest of the symptoms yes. kind of hit. Well, for me, it was shingles, right? Mm. And if for me – and, I, you know, it was lying in the bed 
in excruciating pain yeah. and it was like my body it was like this warning thing going yeah. you're tired you're done you know like yeah. what else do you need me to do yes. <laughs> how else can i tell <laughs> how you how else can i tell you right and so it's listening to that like but you said like it wasn't going on the next business trip like were you traveling a lot were you yes. like so, so and you're young at this point you're like between 22 yeah. and 24 25 yeah you know? yeah we were traveling pretty much nonstop and i think um, the hardest part is people don't realize like you can be having fun and loving what you're doing and still be burning out. And I think that's a really big disconnect. And that's where you miss the signs because you love the travel. You love being at the powerlifting meets all the time that you do want to push through because you are enjoying it so much and you don't necessarily pick up that that exhaustion you're feeling is going to escalate, right? It's not just the next high from the next event that's going to solve it. There's some underlying things happening. And I think a lot of the signs along the way were things like, well, one, my lifts weren't going as well, right? So that was my body couldn't handle the powerlifting with all the traveling that was happening. But instead of taking that as a sign, it just became an additional stress because we had built this community now that was invested in our powerlifting too, right? So instead of taking that as a sign to slow down, it was just an added stressor of, okay, how can I how can I better optimize because I need my lifts to go well? Right. It's it's connected also not only with you but your business. It, totally. It's like all-encompassing. So when you hear other stories, because I know Mm -hmm. that you're working with so many people now on this, are others now able to identify where that burnout was starting to show and how so many of us missed the signs of it? You know, for for listeners right now, it's almost like, okay, let's look at a checklist. Yeah. Because you've seen it now. Yeah. Like what what have you seen and spoken to to understand it? I think – the biggest identifiers actually are more on the emotional and psychological side. And I feel like we always wait for the physical body to show it, right? Because it's what we can't ignore. Mm -hmm. When your body has pneumonia, at some point you have to get the antibiotics, right? But when you're just feeling um, angry or when you're feeling really reactive, a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, I cried on the car ride home and I don't really know why. That's your body telling you, right? That you need to deal with something. But we just think, oh, I'm just like super emotional today and we brush it off. Those are all really big signs and I think that's what people miss. And once I had my body really show me, I realized that all along the way there was emotional and psychological things happening that were really warnings, but I just didn't know to take them that way. I really thought like my personality was shifting. I was always this super bubbly, happy person. And now when people made, you know, people on my team would make a decision that I wouldn't have necessarily made, it like really bothered me at my core and really ticked me off. And that's not how I would have reacted before. And I think that just almost made me want to fight it more because I'm like, I don't want to be that person. And in my head, I was becoming that person. Whereas if I really just thought about what that was, it was a sign that like, you are so tired right now. Your cord is like this long when it used to be a lot longer. And so I was realizing I was losing some empathy and just even some logic. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, I can relate. Yeah. (laughs) So I can relate so much with you. Like, um, you know, I was shorter with the kids. Totally. Like they were like, I would get annoyed and I'm yeah. just like, why is this annoying me? I like, and I'm just like, I would just be like, it's cause I'm so tired. I've yeah. been up since three 30 in the morning. So, but for you, I mean, you're young mm-hmm. to be going through that your body reacted this way. Yeah. But more and more are finding this is creeping in. Yeah. And something I'm finding now when I work with people that are looking to grow their business or start a business there's so much more focus on feeling good and feeling aligned and less about 
I want to make six figures. I want to make seven figures. A lot of the people that are coming to me are like, I want to be really passionate about what I'm doing and I want that to pay my bills and I want to be able to unplug at 5 p.m. or on Fridays and spend it with my kids. So does that – okay, so that's either correlating with the – a mixture of like a Gary V hustle hustle mm-hmm. and like a spiritual let yeah. the universe kind of align yes. and surrender yourself and let go a little bit. So we're battling these these different worlds. Okay, so let's go through. So you're kind of in this travel mode. You get pneumonia. You start the hair mm-hmm. loss, the rashes. It's like okay, you're on full. Like yeah. the body is just releasing everything. Yeah. Where was the pivot for you then? Because you have this business that's happening. You're mm-hmm. like I can't keep up this pace. Yeah. How did the pivot start? Um, Well, it definitely helped to have a partner because like I said, that next business trip, like my partner went and we have um, a bit of a team with that too. So it's nice to have people be able to step in and be able to recognize like, I feel like I knew I shouldn't go on the trip, but having them there validating it and saying, you're staying home, we've got this was really helpful. Um, And then past that, honestly, it was just like I knew It wasn't an option anymore. I feel like I kept pushing through and thinking I can do this even though I feel bad. It just got to the point where there was no other option. It didn't matter if I was working for myself or working a nine to five. I I knew I couldn't get through more days feeling that way. And that was really the pivot. So I really focus now on how can you catch that pivot way earlier than I honestly feel like I was just forced into pivoting. So... You are at this point, though, your own boss. So when Mm -hmm. you have people that are working the nine to fives, Mm -hmm. where is, you know, and there's no, I can rely on my partner in this business. So where for them is the, how do you direct them in saying, okay, this is your chance to to say I'm done, but they can't just call the boss. Yeah. They can't just call in and be like, I just, I need to regroup. Yeah. How does that process happen? Yeah. I think that's definitely a lot tougher. Um, I think it's looking at how are you spending your free time because a lot of the time we are still not doing the things that we need. I always talk about um, non-negotiables. So we have these non-negotiables that instead of treating them as non-negotiables, we treat them as luxuries. So the, the gym is a great example. People always think if they have the time to get to the gym, that's nice and they love it. But after the workout, they're feeling really good. They're feeling you know, empowered and they have all this energy back in them, but they don't recognize that that's something they actually need, right? That's a non-negotiable. That's a non-negotiable. And so seeing what are those non-negotiables? What is it for you? And I say like, it doesn't have to be the gym. Maybe the gym, you just hate it. You leave and you feel horrible. Like that's possible too. Maybe for you, it's spending every Friday night with your girlfriends. So what's that thing that's going to give you that boost of energy and how can you better integrate it in your life? Because obviously if you're working that nine to five and you don't have the ability to take some time off that nine to five you can start to make some shifts there with how you're approaching your workload but what can you do in those off hours how can you integrate the things that really do give you energy and really reevaluating your life and seeing what else is draining you is there toxic relationships for example okay so let's start we'll go through that but let's start with the Mm non-negotiables how how do you describe this and what are you talking to your clients about when you say it's a non-negotiable How is it incorporated and what's the list of things that you've seen come in as non-negotiables? Yeah. So I always say, what's that thing that every time you do it after you're like, I 
really need to do that more often. That felt really good, right? So for some people, um, I've seen workouts, I've seen yoga, I've seen reading. For some people, it's hanging out with their family. Um, Date night is a big one. Spending time alone is another big one for people who live with someone, work in a setting where they're interacting a lot. It's just taking that time. Um, There's non-negotiables on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis too, Mm -hmm. right? A non-negotiable could be taking one trip a year because that's going to help you get through it, right? There's studies that show we actually have um, a higher impact of the excitement leading up to a treat to a a trip, Mm -hmm. sorry, than actual after the fact. We're not even happier after the trip. We're we're happier going into full on depression. Yeah. Because I, honestly, like it's once I know something's booked, it's like this lead up. And I, I, and I've seen this and I remember talking about this, I think on, on CTV morning live, but there is, there's that anticipation. There's the looking forward to, there's the planning for, there's like the getting in shape for Like there's all these things that the build up. And I always say to my husband and my kids, they know the first couple of days home from vacation. Yeah. I'm like, depressed yeah. no one talks so, to you yeah. I'm like I'm so and it's almost like I need something when we come back that I'm just like I just put something on the calendar so that yeah. I have something to look forward to even if I mean it's not going to be the trip but it's yeah. something right it's like there's it's not the it's not a validation but it's it's having something that you're yeah, striving it's the for anticipation. It's the anticipation yeah and people don't these are like the little things that we've never put value in before. And I, I love that there's more studies that are looking at things like that. There was actually another study that looked at if you could kiss your dream celebrity, would you want to do it right now? Uh, I think it was in three hours or like three weeks. And most people picked the. I think it was three days. Sorry. Most people picked the three days because they wanted the anticipation of the buildup because that was half of it. If it just happened, they wouldn't be able to live in that excitement a little bit beforehand. Right. So I think understanding that and learning for yourself, it, like you said, you know that when you come back, you're depressed. So before you leave on your trip, do you already have that next thing on your calendar, right? So that when you come back from your trip, you can comfortably live in that experience, but already know there's something to look forward to. How can you create it that maybe you can skip that little lull? Yeah. Mallory, I'm still trying to figure out who my celebrity kiss is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about that. And in my head, I'm going, Duh, okay, like, yeah, mm. yeah, well, maybe. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the other That's where I was that. going. That That's where my head was at right there. Yeah. No, absolutely. Do you, are you dealing a lot with people your age? Are you starting to, because I'm realizing, and I don't know if I said this in the intro, your generation seems to be willing to ask for help mm-hmm. or coaching. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like these life coaches. Therapy's and cool now. What? Therapy is cool now. You know, like it's, what, what, it, it used to be shameful it and now it's It is, like, but like, you know, the work that you're doing and people, mm-hmm. um, and you know, people are going on social media and they go to Instagram and they like reading like it's not just about the picture anymore. It's, you know, it's the messaging behind yeah. it. They're looking for something. So is it a generational thing? Is it like, why do you think there's such an appeal for, it's not that much of all it is, it's that much younger to, to seek this out? Yeah, I think there's part generational and part also just time period. I think um, we do a lot of things in extremes, right? Like when you look at Marilyn Monroe, it was like, Thick and curvy was really attractive. And then we went full other way to size zero. And then now there's a big like all the way back to curves, you know, and everything we do is in these extremes. And I think we see that a lot. It's like total hustle culture or total woo woo spiritual. And I think people are starting to move the needle and fall into this middle ground and realize you can have those combinations. So I think a lot of the people that 
come to me. It's funny. I almost feel like my age gets skipped. So I'm turning 27 this year. I would say a lot of the people I work with would be like 28 to 35. And then it's the students that are still in school that they're really hungry to build businesses, but they want to do it right, so to speak. They want to start from the ground running with their health in mind too. Well, because they've seen based on the people that they have followed growing up, right? Like I grew up, I didn't have any of this. You're growing up in a generation where you have YouTubers and Instagrammers that have you seen the hustle, hustle, and then you've seen like the burnout. Totally. So they're almost seeing it before they even start it. They have these visions and it's like, how do I get from A to B and do it and be sane? Yeah. A hundred percent. And we even, we've spoken to high school classes that are super business oriented and they have those same concerns. There's a lot more um, value now in impact and fulfillment, right? They talk about that a lot with millennials. Like we're more concerned about like, you know, feeling valued and all this, but it's true. Like I think people have opened up the doors to say you can have a job that you love and you can feel purposeful. And I think in that comes this health element too of how do I feel really good in my life in all angles? Yeah, it's not just about my – it was like you got to go be an accountant, a doctor. Like you had like a job description. Like there was a career set Mm -hmm. out for you. You know, now you guys are having conversations with your parents and it's like I want to build like this – Yeah. This nonprofit, and I yep. want to create this, you know, product that gives back, and I want to find a way to do things. Like, it's a very different way. It's a very different way of thinking. How much does the nutrition health? Because I've seen a lot of your stuff, right? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you're building a business, but you're going to stop here because we have to go and take care of you, right? Yeah, I think it really comes into play. Like, I always say, the healthier the my body is, the better my business is doing. And it's really true. I have one client right now, actually, he does event planning. He does a lot of like parties and pub crawls and he did a dry January and he said he did more for his business than he's ever done. He's felt more clear with his strategy and he realized that like he loves sobriety, even though his business is built on this partying. It really was a flip for him where he's like, I need to stick to this. And, you know, that's one step. And then the next step is what's what's your diet look like? Are you getting McDonald's every day because you're rushing? And I think the better your nutrients coming in can be, it really does have an impact because that changes your brain health ultimately, right? The better the inside of your body is working, the better your creativity is going to be, your temperament, your creativity, all of that is going to come with it. Okay. So you're off to speak at a high school. Mm-hmm. What is the speak like? Because I've seen you, you're on kind of like a little bit of a circuit, right? So what are the messages or how does the same thing transfer from the high school to the university students that you're talking to, to the young kind of entrepreneurs that you're talking to? Take us through like three different messaging. Yeah, I would say the high school is definitely um, more of a you can do whatever you're thinking about doing right now. The really cool thing with the high schools, especially in Barhaven, um, they're doing a lot more like business programs. Like we're going to this high school and they'll be like, okay, you're talking to the grade nine business technology class and the grade 11 marketing class. And I'm like, these are your classes. So they're already a little bit primed and prepped. And for a lot of them, they have so much creativity and ideas and they really want to see that other young people, because we start our business as students in university too, I think it really shows them like, hey, people are 
doing this and there's no reason you can't do it. And I've actually had multiple students reach out to me since that have businesses now because they just saw that presentation and decided, okay, I saw some hard numbers. You know, that's one where where we'll show people that we did trial and error, show how the spikes in our sales happened after we experimented with different things. I think coming into as students and saying we had zero dollars to build this business and we did it is what really encourages people. We can show them some of the free tools they can use. So it's a lot more of like, you can do this and you can do it without, you know, a huge investment from your parents. I mean, I can see that especially, you know, the high school kids, they get excited, but the Mm -hmm. university kids get practical. It's like, you know, you can get them excited in high school to be like, this is the, this is what's waiting for you. Yes. But university, it's almost like, okay, well, let's just do it now. We can build this now. Yeah. And it's funny as people get older, I feel like high school they, I almost say they want to, they're ready to run with it a little bit more. University, they're more analytical, right? So they're like, okay, give me all the information so I can go make my business plan and sit with it. Whereas the high school students are like, cool, I'm going to start selling this tomorrow because I have an idea. So it's interesting. They're like more experimental. And then with the universities, they're more analytical and they want to take your information and, you know, make sure they're taking the best route forward. Okay. And do you have, let's say, like a middle-aged person kind of coming to you also and going, okay, here's my business, now what? Yeah. I think um, the older the crowd, it is more about that harmony with their life. I don't like to say balance as much because it's not really a balancing act. It's how can we do something that feels good in all aspects. For a lot of people, there's you know, sales mindset issues or money mindset issues that are really preventing them um, or the idea that their business somehow isn't aligning with who they are as a person. So how can we make these small shifts that make them feel really good about their business? And then that's where they start to excel. A lot of the times people think they need to learn like Instagram tips and tricks, but really there's like a deep routed um, imposter syndrome or limiting belief. And that's what they need to break through. Okay. Let's hit on that. Yeah. <laughs> Those are big words. Those are words that I think we're hearing much more often, right? Yeah. The, um, the imposter syndrome, because people have these passions they want to share. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, not oversharing or kind of getting in on, you know, on this mm-hmm. uh, and the limiting beliefs. Because as I think, the more I'm reading, the more we are our own worst enemies. Totally. Yeah, I think what I found the most interesting is we always get, when these terms come up, right, we get that first narrative that really leads it, like a limiting belief. I feel like we often associate with people not feeling that they're valuable, right? But there's also other limiting beliefs. Um, I'll use myself as an example. I realized when I was selling, I was going from a product business, sales was really comfortable, right? Because I'm just getting creative. I'm creating marketing campaigns and people are buying a product and then they get that product. When I had to start selling myself a little bit more with services, I felt like I just had to put my price out there and walk away. So people were totally making the decision on their account. I didn't want to feel like I was influencing that much. And so I really dug into that and I actually talked to some different friends and I figured out that it's because growing up, I had always been told that I could persuade or manipulate people into doing anything because I was just like influential in nature. It was always older people telling me that and they never meant it as a bad thing, but obviously it has an inherently bad connotation. And when we talked about it, I kind of realized like deep down, it felt so silly when I realized it, but deep down I was scared to manipulate people into buying my services when they didn't truly want them. And so just coming 
up with that and realizing that was my limiting belief really opened the doors. And now I have such comfortable sales conversations. I can talk about money with potential clients and not feel weird about it because I know I'm not actually coming from a place where I'm trying to manipulate them. And I also now respect that, you know, they're very smart individuals. They are not going to get manipulated by me. And that's not what I'm doing. And that really helps. Right. It's not always just that, oh, I don't believe I'm worthy. Right. So we all have these different limiting beliefs that come from different places. Would you say that you can see a shift in what limiting beliefs we're having uh, coming from young women or from men, you know, and over let's like take different decades that there's different things that affect different generations? Yeah, I would say so. I would say the gender is a really big play too, right? There's still like as much as we've made some really great shifts, there's still very different societal pressures and roles. And I think that comes into play. Women, I find, have a lot more money mindset issues. Sometimes it is coming down to they don't like with pricing, women pricing their services always want to underprice and over deliver. It just seems to be in our nature. So, dealing with why that might be. Um, generationally, I think, I think it's, it's tough. There's like, there are some gen- generational differences, but I think it's more just personality based, really. I'm trying to think if there's any that really stand out to me generationally. Well, I just think, okay, like, let's take let's take Instagram for example. Mm-hmm. Right, people are charging to post a picture. Right, your generation, it's like this is my value. This is what I have. Yeah, our my generation is oh, this is what he is. I'll just I don't I'll, I don't mind posting. You know, yeah. like, Oh, you have a charity. I don't mind posting. Right, right. Like, there's you have a different I think perspective of what has value and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's me seeing it from a different. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's true. It's also because, like we said, like we've just opened this door of what business can be. And we've grown up more in a generation, especially with those younger than me, too, where people make money by having an Instagram account. That's their full time job for some people. Right. This whole influencer concept has really shifted what people can do. And it's this now new goal almost of being paid to be yourself. And that's a really... But are you really yourself? No. That's the problem, (laughs) right? And I think that's where maybe some of us are kind of going like, this is total BS. Yeah. So, and you're seeing that, right? Yeah. And and you're kind of, not that you're in it, but like you're in that world a bit, right? So how do you stay true? How do you maneuver through what's real and what's not? Especially too with maybe some of your clients that are looking to do some of that. Yeah. I... I always think it comes down to ultimately like who you want to be. I know that I will always be real with those types of situations. I've turned down plenty of partnerships because it just doesn't make sense for me, no matter what the paycheck is. If it doesn't make sense and feel good to me to promote something, I just won't do it. I do think it gets hard when we get to those places where, you know, certain people on your feed, every post they do is sponsored content. And it gets to the point where you're like, do you really love this or is it just right right, because you've been paid to say you love it? Do we – do you think we're buying it? Do you think women are buying what they're seeing on all of these platforms? It's tough. I would – my instinct is no, but I have – I've talked about certain things before and I think it depends on their wider context. So someone like us, right, where we're more aware that people – get paid to post. Some people just like haven't fully understood that or they know to a certain degree that Mm -hmm. it happens. Um, Because I had one where 
there was a, a nutrition program and it felt like every athlete and then some was posting about it. But these were athletes that were already super, super fit, super strong. And then, then all of a sudden it's, hey, I'm using this nutrition program. And so I had asked people, I'm like, do you find that now you're almost numb to this because it's like they've got every power lifter on board and all these people who are already fit. So to me, it doesn't really sell me because I'm like, I want to see it before yeah. and after. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you've had a six pack for years. So like how much could it have done for you? Um, and then I had a lot of people that responded that said, like, I didn't even realize those people were being paid to promote it or were being partners, which was crazy to me. But so I think there's that split of one side. They're really buying into it. And the other side is a lot more skeptical mm-hmm. and there's not many falling in between. And I think it's hard. The ones that are really buying into it, um, it truthfully makes me like really empathetic for them because I think they just have to deal with something a little bit deeper, right? Because if you're spending your days like ogling over the clothes, you know, some of these fashion accounts, I don't understand how they're so popular because it's just outfits and they're not, it's not that they don't have personality. They're just not letting you in at all. Um, And it's interesting to me how much those can grow in popularity. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a scary world when people are just consuming so much of what they want to be instead of just going out. What would you like and what do you tell your clients to consume? Like, is it stay off of social media? Like you have, you have people coming to you as clients that are, it's your, it's their business, Mm -hmm. it's their health, it's their extracurriculars. Yeah. Like where, where on the line do you see overall health when you're managing all of it? Yeah, I think in terms of social, definitely. I actually just read a book called 24-6, The Power of Unplugging Once a Week. And it's really interesting because it actually talked about so much of our brain function and how much we can actually do for ourselves by unplugging. It's not just about like to stop scrolling Instagram or stop feeling bad about yourself. It's about how your brain can digest information better by getting off a screen. Your sleep will be better for the week. You can actually like increase your likelihood of living like 10 years longer by taking one day off 24 six so pick a day mm-hmm. yeah I think like a Sunday or something yeah but, so it's it's what can happen what even happens with the brain by unplugging for a day yeah so um, it can help your creativity it helps really like restore the information that you've learned to date it obviously helps like your relationships too because part of the idea is you're completely offline so you're spending it with your family you know you're doing these activities that you might not normally do and that's really good in itself too have you done it I've done it here and there I haven't like I don't have a day of the week right now that I'm doing. Um, I am going to start integrating it though because I find whenever I do do it, I love it. And I find that after that, it just makes me so much more aware and I spend less time online. It's not like I'm dying to get back on mm-hmm. it after. And it's something that you tell your clients yeah. that you started to do. Okay, so you just mentioned that book. So can you mention a couple of others that I think you might have read or that you want your clients, either from a business, from a health Mm. spiritual side where where do you yeah go um well one book for business owners I always recommend is profit first because I think if you're building a business and you're not properly managing your money there's kind of no point of doing it because you're going to end up at square one again so that's always my go-to profit first um it's great for personal too it just shifts how you think about money um the one thing is a really great book um it's by Gary Keller one of the partners in Keller Williams. And it's the idea of simplifying our to-do lists and focusing on the one thing that's going to make everything else easier or unnecessary. So that's a really great book to counter that busy culture of filling in, you know, all those tasks that we 
feel like we're being productive by doing. But sometimes we kind of we make lists. Yeah. So that we can check things off the list yes. so that we can feel productive. Mm-hmm. Totally guilty of it. Yeah. I'll like get up in the morning and I kind of go through, okay, what needs to get accomplished? And and yeah. you feel good checking off the list. But that's not what he's saying to do. Yeah. So basically with his team, he would say, you know, he would, he would have that one thing that he really wanted his team to do. And they would go to the meeting and, you know, their to-do list was 10 items long and they didn't get to it. So he got rid of half of it and it was five items and then three items and they still weren't getting the thing done. So it wasn't until he said, this is your one thing today that it immediately got done. And I think there's that balance, right? It does feel good to check things off a list, but it's how are we using it? If it's on a Saturday and you want to get your laundry and your errands done, like, yeah, make that list. Feel good about that list. But it's when we're prioritizing, you know, writing that Instagram caption over maybe reaching out to that potential business partner that's going to make or break your business. A lot of the times with to-do lists, we like the easy things. And then the most impactful thing keeps falling to the next day, right? so true yeah so that's really what and we it, make these lists and oh we do God. like the either yeah. stuff we know we can easily check yeah. off and we ignore the stuff that's the harder stuff to do yes and that we procrastinate them yeah more. and that's really what the book comes down to and for me it's been a great way to check myself and I tell people like the night before write your to-do list and circle that one thing and that's what you start with the next day because we're also only able to make so many decisions in a day, right? So by starting with those things that are the more important, it's going to be one easier because you have more brain power at the start of your day. But then you're actually, if everything, like if you have to pick up your kid early because they're sick, you actually got that most important thing done and you don't feel bad at the end of the day because you're like, oh, wow, I didn't really expect that. And then I I just kind of did all these little things in the morning and I didn't really get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Because you were going to procrastinate it anyway. What was the name of that book? The One Thing. Okay, so The One Thing. So we've got an entrepreneurial outlook. We've kind of got a checklist, to-do list. What other ones are you telling your clients to read? Um, one that I really loved recently. It has a swear word in the name, though. It's Find Your oh. Bleep Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, no. Yeah. Um, but you can, Oh, no, you can say it. What's oh, the book okay. Called? Yeah, yeah. It's called Find Your Fuck Yeah. Find Your Fuck Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the other one that's like um, – there's another one that's out. Oh, uh, Mark Mark Monson. Or yeah. The Subtle Art of... Of Not Giving one? a Fuck, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, so there's that one. Yeah. So this one's... No, this one is called... Find Your Fuck Yeah. Wow, okay. And what is that? Um, so I actually was lucky enough to meet this girl. She's my friend now. She lives in California. It's about how to really find find your purpose but also be okay with not having a purpose so I found it a really really that's interesting totally millennial right there yeah I find know your purpose <laughs> right. really... <laughs> I know but it, it, it's true we've we've become so focused on like what is our bigger purpose but it's also important that you can just make and you can you know play and learn along the way about yourself and also what you want to do and it doesn't have to be this like one purpose right because we're not you know our parents used to find a job and do it for 30 years and that's just exactly and that's not it anymore well that's exactly my point like it's just we we're shifting definitely shifting that mindset so the find your fuck yeah Mm -hmm. is about just not having okay explain it because i'm trying to take the title in it and kind of like i'm i'm almost like picturing this kid telling their parents well fuck yeah (laughs) yeah it's like find find what i guess sets you on fire you know it's a lot about the experimental process and getting okay with it she also talks about like um 
quit, commit, or start your own shit is a big thing she talks about too. Because sometimes when we're trying to find that purpose, it's like, if you're at a nine to five, do you actually need to quit your job? Do you need to just maybe commit to it a little bit better? Or do you need to go do your own thing? Um, quit, commit, or start your own shit. <laughs> I love it. I know. Like, she's got really great. She's got really quick, great Quick, commit, lines. or start your own shit. Yeah. Yeah. So she actually oh calls my God, it. That's, uh, that is so brilliant though. Like I give her yeah. full credit because it's oh, yeah. so the reality. Yeah. Either quit. Or recommit to it and do mm-hmm. better or just then just start your own shit. Yeah. You just got to pick one. Yeah. It's a it's a really great book. So she went and um, she was actually really high up at like a hipster retailer mm-hmm. company and then had ultimately like peaked, right? She got to where she wanted to be and then she realized that she wasn't happy with it and she went and got a positive psychology cer- certification mm-hmm. and started really diving into this concept and researching it and I love the balance of it, of it's enough of the woo-woo, but also with some hard science to back up that woo-woo. She calls it a book. It's a self-help for people already rolling their eyes, right? So that's, it was kind of perfect for me because I'm not at that place where I need a book that tells me like, you can do it, right? It's right. like, okay, you're doing it, but you, let's figure out like what's going on underneath. Yeah. Like you got this. Yeah. We're already rolling, but. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so those are, I think, my top three right now that I, and I like to tell everyone. Because, and you mentioned a little bit of the woo-woo and the mm-hmm. science. And when you're, we're talking about positive psychology mm-hmm. right now, that I find is the biggest buzzword yeah. in the spiritual self-help world, this yeah. positive psychology. How much are you using that? Or what are you reading and talking to your clients about that they're able to kind of not have this burnout, not be able to, you know, be able to create these businesses with health in mind, yeah. how much of the positive psychology comes in? I think it's a really big piece of it. I love having the science to back it up. To me, it just really validates it, right? You can say that, oh, you know, writing down a goal, I feel like always makes it come true. Well, there's some actual science and studies behind that, right? So I think for a lot of people- Like journaling or yeah. any, okay. People are like dabbling in the woo-woo, but they feel silly. And so it's nice to be like, hey, there's actually science that backs up the woo-woo. Like it's not so crazy. Well, the same right now with meditation. Yes. Right? It it was, you know, I think people, there was an acceptance of it, but people were like, okay. Right. There were certain people that meditated. Now it's it's so much more mainstream, but when people started to see the scientific research and proof that it was actually better for you. Exactly. It switched how people... So science plays a huge role in convincing people to take something. It's like anything. We want to... We are obsessed with proof, right? We just want to know that things work before we try it. We're more comfortable with facts in general. And I think what it comes down to is like, especially with my clients, I get them to understand like business is... It's a whole process, right? So like I said, those things aren't luxuries. They're actually part of it. And when you start implementing things like those non-negotiables and then you realize you're being way more productive in the hours you are working on your business and all of a sudden you're working less on it because you're more productive in those hours, that's what really will then start to sell people on the concept. And that's when they're like, give me more meditation, give me more healthy meals, right? Because you realize you're really optimizing your time. Something my partner and I were talking about today is how everybody's so focused on how to scale to six figures or seven figures or whatever it might be. He's like, well, what if you don't scale at all, but you cut your work in half? Like, isn't that also kind of sexy, right? So how can we figure out what those actual priorities are for different people? Because maybe that's really what they want, but we're so focused on the numbers that they think they're going to be happy when they hit seven figures. But maybe at seven figures, you're going to have a whole team and you never wanted to manage a team. So what you really needed to do was stay at six figures, reduce your expenses, reduce your workload and be be cruising, but happy, right? 
that's the balance people are trying to figure out. Yes. Are you getting a lot of people who are at the six and seven figures that have said to you, okay, help me figure out how to scale back? Because you scaled back mm-hmm. and are happier and thriving. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the – What's the checklist of that, of going not backwards, but yeah. getting back to something that's going to fulfill you and make you happy? I always get people to start with a few questions like, what's your long-term priority? Because it comes back to that hustle culture, right? There's a lot of things that get ingrained in us. We think like so many people will say financial freedom. But what does that actually mean to you, right? We could have totally different ideas of right. financial freedom. But me at, in my 40s and you in your 20s, yeah. I mean, I've had kids. I'm worried. I'm now kind of looking at, okay, university and then there's right. weddings and then there's anything, right? You're like, okay, we're going to have to get our first home soon. Like, like mm-hmm. It's so different where you're at and yet people are having these same decisions to make. Do I scale down? Do I right. slow down? As I'm learning even with you in your 20s that that was something you had to decide on. Yeah. And it really does come down to those, what are those long-term priorities? What's going to be important to you? And then how do you build a business that actually lines up with that? And it's a step that most people aren't taking. And I notice in the process, a lot of people say, wow, I didn't realize my business is kind of going left and I'm going right. And to have people realize that up front and then be able to do something about it instead of ending up all the way right when they wanted to go left is really impactful. So starting with those questions of what's actually important to you and how do we create this business in a way that's going to support that, especially because now with so much of this social and influencer, people really want to, you know, make a YouTube channel and like grow their Instagram. But then when we actually get down to what they want, I'm like, well, what if we can create this for you without you having to do YouTube videos weekly. Because to me, that sounds pretty great because starting a YouTube channel can also be exhausting, right? So looking at what those goals are and how can we actually get them there in a way that makes sense. I think there's so much pressure to go these certain routes. And like even someone who's you know built businesses on social media, I tell people all the time, social media is not necessarily going to grow your business. If you're really great at events, then lean into events. And like, yeah, you can have a social presence, but Why are you trying to go build your business on social when you thrive at events, right? So really pinpointing what makes sense for you and forgetting about what everyone else is doing has been really, really impactful. Where can people find more information? I'm, you know, I think you make some incredibly valid points and it's going to hit people who are at different stages of their life, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think too, for, for listeners who are young and building and trying to be able to juggle it all and not necessarily use the word balance, but yeah. be able to, to incorporate these things into their lives. For you, is the passion on the sitting down with one-on-one with with the client? Is it speaking in front of a massive audience and, and just having a general conversation about it? Like where for you... Do you feel that you most are thriving yeah. and that you want people to know this is where you could, they can reach out to you for? Yeah, definitely. Instagram's still always a great place to connect with me or my website. Everything I do is just Mallory Rowan. My email's hello at Mallory Rowan. Um, really can connect with me anywhere. I think right now I love I, I love speaking more than anything because I love being able to impact a lot of people at once and sharing those stories and showing people too like you can talk about these things in front of people. I did an event last week where I talked about like one of our biggest financial mistakes and just for people to hear someone get up and say those things publicly was really impactful for a lot of people. So I definitely, I love the speaking side right now. Um, I do have some online courses and I'm building that out a little bit more because I do want 
what I teach to be accessible. So I do a lot of one-on-one coaching, but I understand for everyone that's not an option. So I am this year working on building out more courses. So I have like a, a mini course, for example, called Get Your Sheet Together. And it's all about this spreadsheet that I use to plan my year based off energy and the way that I want to live my life. And how do we take that woo-woo and combine it with some hard financials? So those are the different ways people can connect or work with me. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Here's the woo-woo. Yeah. want to kind of live here. I need the financial. Yeah. I need to live here. I'm like, how do we put meditation in a spreadsheet, basically, is what <laughs> I try to do. And make money. Yeah. The, the type of money that you need so that you can th- thrive and survive. Exactly. Not necessarily the seven figures that might not actually make you happy at the end of the day. Exactly. Some really great information. Mel, I really appreciate it. Uh, that was a really fun – it was a fun conversation. And, and I'm looking at you kind of going, you've really got your shit together. You really got your shit together. There's a couple of decades between us. And to realize, you know, gosh, if I had figured out some of this stuff earlier, Mm -hmm. kind of would have been in a a different place. So really fascinating. So uh, and the website's MalloryRowan.com. Yeah. If I remember correctly. So really appreciate you being here. Appreciate uh, those that are listening to, as we have been mentioning, if you can like subscribe and I'm not going to ask you to do too much, but if you're ranking and you're commenting, it really helps the podcast grow and it gets the podcast out to people who didn't know it existed. And then they can find all of the awesome content, which is always great to see. So thanks everyone for listening to another episode of living your life with Leanne Lang. Have a great day. Fifty-six. Nicely done. (laughs) Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.